Well, let's pray together before we look at this. Father God, we pray that as we hear words that maybe we rejoice in or maybe we'll find hard, that you might open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive it as truth that comes from you. Help us to see who Christ is and what he's done. And may we respond in a way that's right and good. Good for us. Glorifying to our God. Speak through me, I pray, words that are faithful, truthful, loving and clear. And again, we pray that you do a work by your spirit in all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Often the Lord asks us to do things that don't come naturally. The Christian life is full of opposites which can seem contradictory and don't come easy. For example, we must declare spiritual bankruptcy if we would be rich. We must hunger if we would be satisfied. We must die to self if we would find eternal life with Christ. If we, lose our, we must lose our life if we want to save it. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us we must humble ourselves if we are to be exalted. As we heard last week, humility means to think of yourself with lowliness. You may know author and preacher Tim Keller went to be with the Lord. He died and went to be with the Lord two days ago. A great and a humble man, someone who impacted and blessed me, my life and ministry. I thank God for him. And in his words, as Andy mentioned last week, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. And that's a challenge, because it doesn't come naturally. And yet for the Christian humility, it's foundational, it's necessary, because no one struts through the narrow gate that leads into Christ's kingdom. No one takes big steps of achievement down that narrow path that leads to life. See, we're sheep, not peacocks. We're servants, not sovereigns. If Christ is to fill our lives, then we must empty ourselves. Humility is the central theme and characteristic that runs through this passage, and we need it not only for salvation, but for our love and unity as a church. In verse 3, God said through the Apostle Paul, we must say no to selfishness and humbly consider others before ourselves, looking to their interests. And as Andy mentioned last week, Christ is given now as the supreme example of humility. We'll come back to how we are to adopt and follow his example, but we'll look firstly at Christ's humility, then his exaltation, and then what difference does it make to us? So Christ's humility in verse 6. The style and parallelism in the passage here strongly suggests that it was an early Christian hymn or creed. It covers Jesus' incarnation and his death, his exaltation. This passage is worth memorizing. We're told firstly that Jesus existed in the form of God. And that's describing the pre-existent state of the Son of God even before he became human in, in Jesus. 
It's not talking about his external appearance or his visible form. It's talking about his nature and that what he possesses inwardly is expressed outwardly. It's saying that the Son of God, Jesus, truly and fully expresses God. And as the passage says, he has equality with God the Father. Or like Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Something big to get your head around. Jesus was and is God. He he truly and fully expresses God. Son of God is co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father. And yet, we're told he doesn't consider that as something to be exploited or held onto for his own advantage. He doesn't clutch at his rights and seek to put himself first. No, but what does he do? Verse 7, he empties himself, he pours himself out. He limits himself to humanity and puts himself at the disposal of others. How? By lowering himself to the status of a servant. Literally, the word is a slave. Amazingly, mind-bogglingly, he manifests the form of God in the form of a slave. And he does that by becoming human, by appearing as and taking, becoming, taking the form of becoming a man. Became man. And yet the man, Jesus, had not lost his divinity. Still, he really became human in his nature and characteristics. And so he had a human nature and a divine nature in one person. While he remained truly and fully God, he was fully and truly human. And so like any other person, Jesus grew tired and weary. He hungered and thirsted. He felt all the throbbing pain of a human body, he subjected himself to human pressures and temptations and sufferings. So can you see that in taking on humanity, the eternal Son of God lowers himself, humbles himself. The Son of God steps downward from the heights of heaven to the depths of this dark world tells us that God's heart is about giving, not getting. Giving, not getting. And he did this for sinners. He did this for us. God became man to serve and save us. And that truth, it's foundational and it's it's wonderful. And it's awesome. And, and it, when we think about this, it should move us to praise and joy and worship and thankfulness. Your God is the God who walked this earth as one of us. And then Jesus humbled himself further. He lowered himself further, verse 8, by becoming obedient even to the point of death. Christ obeyed God's word like no one else had or could. I mean, if he had sins, he could not save us because he would deserve death for his own sin. And yet, Jesus lived without sin 
And he did what no other human could do. And he didn't only obey God by fully obeying God's commands, loving God always with his all and others as himself. Jesus even obeyed the Father. He did the Father's will by dying in the place of sinners. This passage in Philippians 2, it it rings of language from Isaiah 53. Reminds us of passages like Mark 10 verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus didn't only humble himself to death, but it was the kind of death that was more humbling, even humiliating, death on a cross. I mean, to be crucified by the Roman authorities, it was offensive, degrading, humiliating. It was no quick death, but a slow, painful, public death where you hung naked and ashamed for hours until you bled and suffocated and died. It meant a total loss of rights and dignity, life. Not only humbling, but humiliating. Beyond God, beyond that, God's word says that to hang on a wooden cross was to be cursed by God. It's picked up in Galatians 3, quoting the Old Testament. And he did it. It was cursed by God for us. He did it as our sacrifice and substitute to save sinners like us. To save all who would put their trust in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God couldn't get any lower. You couldn't be any more humbled. And Jesus did it so we could get right with God. But look at what God does now. Our next point, Christ's exaltation. Christ's humility resulted in his incarnation, in his humiliation. And now his exaltation comes. But verse 9, because of Christ's perfect obedience and his all-sufficient substitutionary death, the price has been paid and so the Father exalts him. Implied in that is Jesus' glorious resurrection from the dead. He was raised up from the dead, then up to the heights of his heavenly throne. The Father decisively acts for on his son's behalf, magnificently exalts him. So the point here is not that Jesus lives forever, that's not the point here, but that he reigns and rules forever. Remember as Jesus said at the end of Matthew 28, he's risen and now he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's ascended, he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Another slide for this. Hebrews chapter 2 says he's been crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. And part of Christ's exaltation, we're told here, is that he's given a name. 
a name that is above all others. Now, not always in life, but in the Bible, your name represents you. It describes you. Clinton means a farm on the headland, and it's got nothing to do with my life. But in the Bible, names are significant. They describe you. It represents you. And so this name that is above every other means that this one has a role and position and power above every other. You might think of your teacher at school or your boss. Maybe their name is above yours. Imagine though you lived in North Korea. We may fear the name of Kim Jong-un, for that name represents a powerful man who's brutal towards opposition, brutal toward Christian people. And yet, Christ is greater than he. Christ is greater than all. Now, there is some debate about which name is referred to here, this name that's above every name. I think it's not likely Jesus as such. For He received that name in his incarnation and his birth. It means the Lord saves, which he does. But the name that's above every name is that Jesus is Lord, verse 11 Because when Jesus is designated as Lord, it's affirming and declaring that he represents God himself, Yahweh. It speaks of his universal lordship. As Lord, he's above all in heaven and on earth and under the earth, we're told. That's saying that Jesus rules, he has authority over every being in heaven, all angels and the dead in Christ. He rules over every person, every person and power on this earth. He rules over demons and the dead who are awaiting judgment. There's no one and nothing that is not under his lordship. But what difference does it make? Verse 10 says the Father has given Jesus this name, Lord, so that... Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is huge. For it is saying that every creature, angel and demon and every human who has ever lived, good and evil, believers and unbelievers will bow before Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord. It's not saying that every person will be saved from the judgment to come. But at the final judgment, the universal lordship of Jesus will be acknowledged by everyone. Like it or not, everyone will submit to a will they cannot resist when they stand before God. Everyone will stand before God and they will see and they will know that Jesus rules. Not that they will necessarily want that. Everyone will stand before God and see it. All who've refused to repent and turn to Christ in this life, they will not believe and repent then. But on that day, they will accept that Jesus is Lord. And they were not. And Christians will accept that and acknowledge that joyfully. And so Jesus, his exaltation, it matters to everyone It matters to you. If it doesn't now, it will then. Will then. 
We read earlier from Isaiah chapter 45 about God being the only God, the only Lord and Saviour. And Isaiah 45 likely forms background to Philippians chapter 2. There God said, there's no other God but me, a righteous God and Saviour. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. In the next verse, every knee will bow to me. If we, want to be, if we want to be saved from God's wrath for rejecting him, the, saved from the eternal death that we deserve, we need to respond by repenting now. Jesus is Lord. He deserves to have us acknowledge that now. For our own good, our salvation, we should acknowledge that now. We need to submit to and surrender to Jesus as Lord. See, no one steps through that narrow gate that leads to life unless they do that. Salvation requires that we humbly confess, I'm not in charge, Jesus is, and I turn to him as my Lord and my Saviour. Have you done that? Has he saved you? God, God saved people, we Christians, are, are those who've bowed the knee to Jesus and confessed him as Lord. We are those who have forgiveness of sins, a right relationship with God now because we've trusted in Jesus who died in our place. And so can you see that trusting in Jesus who died for you, living under his lordship, it changes everything? What difference does it make? It matters in every way to life now and to life forever. It means that we have relationship, peace with God now. We have God with us now. We have hope and peace and life and the Spirit now. God sovereignly working all things for our good now. And we can have certainty about life after death. And yes, Timothy Keller knew where he was going. When Jesus returns at Judgment Day, as mentioned in verse 16, we'll come to that in two weeks, we can be certain if we've trusted him now, we can be certain that then we will be exalted and receive life in the new creation with God. And Jesus promises in John 14 that he will come back and take us to be with him where he is, exalted, experiencing the never-ending, incomparable, joyful, glorious presence of our God. Can you get more amazing than that? And through this, as everyone acknowledges that Jesus is Lord, God the Father will get the glory. Verse 11. No one else deserves the glory and praise. God deserves the glory and he will be glorified as people confess his son Jesus as Lord, whether that happens in this life or at the judgment day. So trusting in and turning to Jesus matters. But the difference Christ's humility and his 
humiliation and his exaltation makes is also to our Christian lives now as we relate to others, even each other. Just like life on earth for Jesus meant humility, so it does for us. So let's come back to the start of the passage, to verse 5, and those words adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. In the context of verses 3 and 4, it's saying that in your relationships with others, adopt the same attitude as Christ. So we who've already been saved by his death and have him as our Lord, we are to be like him, like him in our humility. And remember what we've seen. We've seen that Christ didn't clutch at and assert his rights or or seek his own glory. He sought the salvation and good of others. Us, unworthy sinners, He took the form of a servant, and that's what we're asked to do. Let me share another Keller quote. The gospel is that I am so sinful that Jesus had to die for me, yet so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. I can't feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. Remembering that, we're told in verse 3 to humbly serve others. And I want to say when we think about humility and service, most of you have heard all this before, we ought to be humble, we know we're supposed to behave that way, But please remember, we can't grow in humility by trying harder and by just reading our Bible and praying more and with extra efforts. We do need to turn from pride and boasting, from arrogance. We need to turn from our inclination to take the credit or or put our confidence in our own efforts. But it's Jesus that we must look to and look at, firstly. Reflecting on meditating on Jesus, maybe you could do that today from Philippians chapter 2. Meditating, reflecting on Jesus is key. So marinate on Jesus. His humility. His humiliating death for you. His exalted and glorious rule. And by his grace you will be thankful. And you will be humbled. We saw in verse 4 that humility meant thinking about and looking to the interests of others before ourselves. But, But what does that look like? If Jesus is the ultimate model of humble, self sacrificing, self giving service, what might that look like for you? Well, humble people are slow to speak of others' faults. When they do, they always speak gently, respectfully, kindly, never proudly or with put-downs. Is that you? Humble people, they stick with others through hard and difficult circumstances. They, They don't give up. 
Humble people are not afraid of confronting. They don't like it, but when they do it, they are very persuasive because they're not out to win, but they're out to heal. They examine their motivations when they brush up against others. You know, am I being driven by being right? Is my focus really on proving my own points? Humble people usually have no self-pity. There is always a quiet joy rather than grumbling. Humble people don't try to elevate themselves. that They try to elevate others. They serve others. Humble people use their status and their resources and their power to serve others. I suggest listening is a great way that we can do that. And writer and writer and lecturer at Moore Theological College in Sydney, Jane Tua, she writes on this, listening, and says, Listening to others shows we're willing to learn from them, that we want to learn from them, whether they're adults or children, whatever the person's background, Christian or not. The people that made the biggest impact on me when I was a child outside of my immediate family were an uncle and aunt. Each school holidays, we used to go and visit them on their farm. There were six kids in my family and there were ten in theirs. So there was potential for much chaos. I was a very shy child, but I always loved going to their home as I felt loved and welcomed. And the reason they made me feel like that was they made a point of asking me questions and they listened to me. And that made a lasting impression on me. When we feel listened to, we feel loved. And when we listen to others, it's a sign of us loving them and an acknowledgement that we can learn from them. And it's also a recognition that God in his sovereignty and goodness has put this person in my life. Humility is not thinking that others are more godly or kind than you, more intelligent or nicer or better at cooking or cricket than you. They may be, they may not be. Humility is when you consider other people's interests before your own, thinking what is best for the other person and acting on that. We're being humble when we think of others before ourselves. You may have greater status than someone. You may have authority over someone. You don't pretend you don't have authority over them, but you think of what will benefit those under you. What do they need? What's best for them? It doesn't mean you don't look after yourself. When when we don't look after ourselves, we soon can't help anyone else. End quote. We all have different gifts, different resources, different positions. We have different limitations, different circumstances, different capacities. But we're all called by our Saviour and Lord to humble service. You may be in a hard season of life at the moment and you can't serve as you would like. And that's okay. Please remember that we're not saved by our service, but because Jesus served us.
Or maybe you ought to reflect on who you're serving and how, especially in your church family. Many of our serving teams here are looking for more people. If you can serve, let us know. So is there something that needs to change for you in your hearts, your attitudes, your actions? Are you adopting the same attitude as Christ with those you live with, those you're at church with, those you're at work or at school with? And maybe it's not about you doing more, but maybe it is just sitting down with or calling someone so you can listen with love and humility. I know that that would make a difference. It will make a difference to those around you as God uses that to bless and build up one another. Our Lord Jesus humbled himself in the incarnation. He was humiliated on the cross, but he was exalted to glory above all, with authority above all. Humility then exaltation for Jesus. And for we who've humbly turned to him and been saved by him, exaltation to his glory awaits us too. So live with Jesus as your Lord, humbly serving others to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we confess that so often we're selfish. We're driven by fear. We can be lazy. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed and struggle to trust you. We can all be in so many different places, feeling so many different things. But we pray for each of us, wherever we're at, that we might reflect on, make time to think about who Jesus is and what he has done for us and for the world. Lord, we pray in response that we would be moved to thankfulness, to faith, to repentance, to joy. And that by your spirit, you might make us more like your son, we pray. Humble, servant-hearted, seeking to and looking to the good of others before ourselves. Please do a work of grace in our hearts and our lives by your spirit, that you, Father, would get the glory in the end. And we ask this all in your son's name, our saviour. Amen.